Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. My name is Rocky, Sam's name is Sam, and Eddie's name is Eddie. And uh, we are back into the Halloween spirit this week. Um, we're talking about Carrie and also Carrie. <laughs> and the, the many iterations of in it. In between, in between, yeah. I, I have yeah. prepared notes on the on the other versions. <laughs> yes, amazing. So yeah, I mean, what are your guys' relationship with Carrie? So I, you, if we still were doing the kinning thing as a society, <laughs> I would say <laughs> Carrie is the number one of the on the wow. top of the kin list. That's um, amazing. <laughs> like she, like I relate so much to her. I was her for Halloween, uh, senior of high school, because since I wasn't able to learn telekinesis, I had to settle for the second <laughs> best thing. Um, I read the book, seen the movie a billion times, seen the remake, seen the musical, seen the Riverdale version of the musical. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And I just think it's a great story that I have had many analyses written on for school. Great. Uh, speaking of Riverdale, uh, we could do a quick check-in because we did talk about Riverdale last time. And since then, I have seen the whole show. Yippee! <laughs> and... Yes. <laughs> I like it a lot. I'm a fan. Good. Perfect. We've converted someone. <laughs> it's it's it, it's a it's a slow build but it, it reaches such a, a fever pitch and i'm really looking forward to where it goes from here yeah um, now you have to get someone else to start being into it it's like an mlm kind of that's deal true. exactly that's true well for the listeners at home i mean you can listen <laughs> to our our riverdale episode and uh with the added bonus that um i watched it and it's really good hell yeah endorsement uh, so Sam, what's your uh, relationship with Carrie? Yeah, uh, Carrie is like something that I definitely enjoy, um, but it's ultimately not like something I was like super as invested in as I think a lot of people were. Uh, my mom showed me the original when I was in high school. This is actually my first time watching the 2013 one, um, but like Eddie, I'd seen the Riverdale version. Um, I actually. <laughs> I applied to colleges for musical theater, which is a secret I usually keep. And one of my audition songs is from Carrie the Musical. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, it was something my voice teacher really wanted me to play. Uh, but I have also read the book because I am like a huge Stephen King person and have been going down kind of like a Stephen King rabbit hole for the last like year or so. So that's kind of like my main connection to this um i feel like and like made me really want to revisit carrie which is something i had pleasant memories of but like thinking about it in kind of a larger context suddenly became more interesting this year mm -hmm. for me i'm trying to like recall like i feel like carrie is one of those cultural osmosis things where i definitely as a kid knew that Carrie was like a, a girl with telekinesis who they dump the pig's blood on her and she goes berserk that that was just something that i had in my in my consciousness uh, but I think it was it high school for me Xbox also when I that you know that. Sorry. Yeah, it comes free with your ex. <laughs> um, I think it was also high school that I saw it for the first time in like a in, in like a high school film class. Uh, but yeah, I also just saw the the remake for the first time. Rewatched the original, which I liked a lot at the time and still do. Uh, 
but yeah, I mean, you know, just just uh, <laughs> something with a lot going on in it. Um, and uh, we're uh, we've given ourselves a little cushion of time to make sure that we cover everything. We're obviously going to try to not dwell on too much and just get through get through all the stuff. Um, uh, as always, I have my history, uh, which begins, of course, with Carrie, the book, Stephen King's first novel published in April of 1974. Uh, it, uh, for, for a debut, it got a pretty sizable advance. It got 2,500 in 74. And that was because there was this big horror boom after Rosemary's Baby, the book, uh, in 67. There's like, like everyone, every publisher was looking for new horror stuff. And so, you know, that, that, that helped Stephen King uh, get his feet off the ground. There was the initial hardcover run, 30,000 30, copies, and it was picked up by a bigger uh, publisher. Uh, they paid $400,000 for the paperback rights. And uh, in its first year, it sold 1 million copies. So it was definitely successful, um, but it only landed on the bestsellers list after the movie came out. I have not read the book, Carrie. Like, I, I, I know it's, like, relatively short, but I, you know... We we planned this like a week ago, <laughs> and I didn't really you know, have time to look at it. But um, have either of you read Carrie? I think yeah, you said you yeah. did. But yeah. <laughs> um, any thoughts on on the book that are not related to the movie? Um, it's like interesting because they have like they kind of do it in like a weird like perspective. Like in the movie, it's very much like from the perspective of Carrie and like um her like struggle and stuff and while they have that in the book they also they kind of have it in like a like detached like like they have like news articles and stuff right. they have, like clippings like from like books about telekinesis and like shit like that in it and so it's it's like written in an interesting format i think which is like not anything that you would pick up from watching the movie yeah, I read that it was that it was epistolary, and I was like, "That's weird," because <laughs> because the movie yeah. is so so internal, and like it's like we'll talk about the movie. There's an interesting relationship in there with like everyone kind of like Carrie isn't really hiding that she's telekinetic, but everyone just sort of thinks she's weird. Um, <laughs> it's you know every every class is that one girl <laughs> with, <laughs> with telekinesis. um but yeah i don't know it was weird to me that it was uh, an epistolary uh novel and i do i mean i mean dracula is obviously a famous example of that i do tend to like those kinds of um stories but yeah an interesting choice i think that stephen king like started it like it sort of grew one step at a time where it started as this pretty short thing. And then he was sort of encouraged by one person or another to expand it. Yeah. I think the epistolary, mm. I it's part of why I like the book so much. I think I probably like the book more than the, maybe not more, but like, I think I like the book a lot. Um, it's a very Kingy and thing to do where like, he has this impulse to kind of like zoom out a lot. Um, like he does that in the shining and, uh, Salem's Lot as well which are like some of his other really really early books um and I always think it's really interesting that like that doesn't really get carried over into the movies as much you kind of get a little taste of it at the end of the 2013 version um which I'm sure we'll talk about but the movies Mm -hmm. are so focused on like this very like kind of personal 
uh, high school narrative as opposed to like entire town gets blown up government has to come in clean up the whole thing which is what mm. like half of carrie is about um right do you yeah. guys know about the alternate ending that like stephen king really wanted for the book that he was not allowed to do uh no Mm-mm. um this is like the original draft of carrie after she you know goes kind of nuts at the prom um instead of just like going on like you know her regular rampage where she's walking around using telekinesis she was supposed to get real big um and grow horns <laughs> mm-hmm. and like rampage through the city like godzilla um <laughs> and Stephen king's nice. editor very wisely said please don't do that <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> Yeah, that, 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 that's that's great stuff. But, I really uh, obsessed with that. Yeah, we need to see it. Yeah. Um, I also think the other real quick before we move on for the book, I think the other thing that's worth talking about is that the book kind of gets into like aspects of class and race a lot more than I feel mm. like either of the movies does. Um, like especially like there's a monologue from Sue where she's like kind of having this panic about like realizing she's just going to end up a housewife and like that's very tied into like whiteness very explicitly um and also like carrie is specifically described as fat in the novel which is something that has never really been adapted into anything Mm -hmm. which is probably for the best given how horror is like a pretty fat phobic genre generally and i don't think it's done super well in the book um but also really interesting that that's something that always gets left behind and like the image of carrie on screen is always this like very waifish you know stick thin white girl mm-hmm. and another thing that they don't really they kind of well, have oh you, you forget you i just want to say real quick you for you forget that midge is carrie in the riverdale episode <laughs> <laughs> That's yes, true. She, she well, she wants to be Carrie very badly, but Cheryl right. steals her thunder. That's true. Um, yeah, the, 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 the sub Carrie, yeah. But um, another thing that like they kind of talk about in the movie, but like only in like context clues, is that like Carrie is supposed to be like very low income, and like that's like one of the reasons why she's like bullied is because like her house like looks like shit. And, like, her mom, like, you know, like, sews, like, all her clothes for her and, like, stuff like that. And, like, in the movie, they, like, show that, but they don't really, like, get into, like, the fact that, like, that was, like, basically, like, a major reason why she even, like, had a lot of these struggles to begin yeah. with. And they just kind of made her more like, oh, she's bullied because she's different. And it's like, yeah, but, like, there are, like there's like more than just like her like difference from other kids like why was she different because like it's like a story about class too yeah which i do think it's worth mentioning that uh at the time king was writing this he was living in a trailer um and he was working at a public high school in maine and like is on record saying that like he specifically was partly inspired by like watching a girl in his class get bullied for being very low income um and it is weird where like that kind of becomes set dressing but doesn't necessarily get picked apart i mean like it kind of gets it shows up but is not necessarily as big a part of it as it is in the novel which is always really interesting yeah it's very much de-emphasized yeah at this time brian de palma 
had been working as a director for uh, about a decade. Uh, he had a lot of critical success. He was sort of known as like an up and coming guy, hadn't really crossed over commercially yet. Famously, he was one of the first uh, male students at Sarah Lawrence College. Slay. Wow. Good for him. It's true. <laughs> It's true. The, the first cis male. <laughs> yeah. That's why he's got all that weird girl swag. Like, it's true. It's true. I when I hosted the like student film awards at 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 Sarah Lawrence one year, and I got in trouble for doing a bit. It was like all improvised. It was very rushed, last minute thing with me and my co-host. But I got in trouble for doing a bit where like, uh, you know. Uh, my co-host said something to the effect of you could be the next Brian De Palma. And I said, you could be the next Jordan Peele. And I said, well, let's say the next Brian De Palma. And I got in trouble from people who were, who were like mad at me for like downplaying Brian De Palma. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know we had like De Palma defenders on campus who were like, how dare you? Um, actually. <laughs> it, was, it was very funny. <laughs> So De Palma and King had a mutual friend who was a writer, and that writer, we don't know who it was, uh, <laughs> suggested the book to him. Uh, and after reading it, he expressed interest in directing the film. It turned out that, like, several studios were interested in the rights, but none of them had, like, you know, jumped in yet. So he put in a few calls. Nothing really happened for, like, almost a year. Uh, by that point, United Artists had picked up the, the, the movie. It was like someone was writing the script and then United Artists picked it up and they were like, we want Brian De Palma directing this. They hired Lawrence D. Cohen to write the screenplay. He was, uh, ha hadn't like written a hit film at the time. He was known as like someone who sort of associated with Scorsese. Uh, he also wrote the script for the 1966 TV movie, Cedric Hawkstyle's Prince of Danger, starring Paul Lind perfect <laughs> great stuff it's like a some kind of sherlock oh, yeah. holmes parody i haven't i haven't seen any of it but it seems seems it's great it's gotta be good yeah the budget was set at 1.8 million actually 1.6 million and then they bumped it up a little bit uh but that was small considering the recent horror boom in film which was also aided by rosemary's baby um and also how buzzy the novel was once again so with a budget set, the casting process began, and luckily, Brian De Palma's friend, George Lucas, was looking for actors in a similar age range for his own film. So, Carrie and Star Wars had joint auditions. Oh my god. <laughs> so I'm sorry. <laughs> Carrie and Star Wars had joint auditions. De Palma and Lucas were both there, uh, and actors, like every actor was considered for both movies. <laughs> I want to see Mark Hamill as Carrie. Please, please, <laughs> we need it. We need it. And there, there are all these stories about how, like, you know, George Lucas was kind of quiet, and Brian De Palma was the one who was really engaged. And then, like, like they were both there for all for all of these auditions for Carrie and or Star Wars. <laughs> so funny. God, we this is like genuinely making me want a george lucas directed king adaptation so bad it would be borderline unwatchable it was the, the worst greatest film ever I, I need it i need it i need george lucas to like you know just he, he needs to be cut off at like five million dollars he needs to have like no money and just and just make a stephen king movie that's what we need from him please he could do it he's in retirement what's he doing right now we we need him back. 
We need him back in the chair. It has been rumored that Carrie Fisher was considered for Carrie. Uh, it's been confirmed that Amy Irving, who plays Sue, was up for Princess Leia. I like the casting that they decided to go with the rest. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like there are there are a few things you could really uh, uh, swap around <laughs> that would um, make things more interesting. I feel like Carrie Fisher as Carrie is like, you know, it'd probably be good, but like she, you know, she's too I, like, I, I think conventionally it out. attractive. Right. Which is like a, a beef I have with the remake. I'm like, what girl that looks like this is gonna get severely bullied for her appearance? We'll get into like, it. For to me, to me, I laughed out loud when it like introduces Carrie and we don't see her face for a couple seconds and then we see her and it's <laughs> Chloe Grace Moran. <laughs> that whole time Brian De Palma was seriously eyeing Betsy Slade for the title role. She um didn't end up being like a big deal really but she had made a big debut in 1974 in the movie our time however sissy spacek was a friend of brian de palma's through her husband jack fisk who did like production design on all his movies uh and she was actively campaigning for the role the whole time and de palma was like i don't know but 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 like brought her in for like a for like screen testing and he was just like oh there she is Meanwhile, uh, Piper Laurie was suggested by a United Artists executive. She hadn't had a film role since her Oscar-nominated turn in The Hustler 15 years earlier, but this executive was like, she wants to get back into it, uh, and so she does Carrie, and she was nominated for another Oscar <laughs> after not, after yeah, not doing anything. Apparently when she got the script, she was like, this is so over the top. Am I supposed to be like scary and threatening? Like, is this like a scary movie? Because she was like, <laughs> who talks like this? This is ridiculous. <laughs> she get it. Uh, she's great. She's great. I know. I'm like obsessed with her as an actress. John Travolta uh, was, was part of that Carrie Star Wars audition process. She, uh, he was actually cast slightly before he had his breakout in Welcome Back, Cotter. And in fact, Brian De Palma said uh, in a 1977 interview that he had never seen the show, uh, even after Carrie came out. <laughs> but, yeah, they, he, they sort of lucked out on Travolta. We'll get into it, but I think he's <laughs> quite funny in this. Every time I watch yeah. it, I forget he's in it, and it like hits me like a truck. Yeah, when yeah. you even just mentioned it just now, I was like, oh yeah, he is in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the last two audition out of the people who are in the cast was Nancy Allen, who played Chris, and also later married Brian De Palma. Wow. Th th that's kind of wild. <laughs> that is. Very weird for love to blossom on the set of Carrie. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Oh, the way you direct me to be a truly evil, horrible person just really makes my heart go. <laughs> the original DP for this movie was Isidore Mankowski, who was a, a horror B-movie guy. He did uh, Scream, Blackula, Scream. He would later be most known for shooting the Muppet movie. Oh my god, yes. He has the range. He has the range. But he was fired from Carrie. He got into a lot of fights with Brian De Palma. <laughs> Yeah, they got along fine with Jim Henson, I guess. <laughs> yeah, he was replaced by Mario Tosi, who was another uh, horror B-movie guy. Um, there was a lot of tension on set just in general. They had a limited budget, so they had to like cut some stuff from the script. Um, just, just, just bad vibes, <laughs> for, it mm. seems, it's, in a lot of ways. 
um, right up until it's released, United Artists was playing with the idea of retitling the movie Pray for Carrie and releasing it as part of a B-movie double feature. Interesting. It, yeah, that's the interesting thing. I think one of the interesting things about Carrie, and it kind of applies to some other De Palma movies, is that it would play as a B-movie, but it also plays as like a, you know, full-scale release. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of elements of that movie that are kind of like kitsch. Like, the score, Yeah, I, I feel like, is like very, like like melodramatic in like a way that like i could see it in a b movie and like things like that mm. i have a great quote for you about that so variety called the movie camp and then right. someone asked brian de palma about them calling the movie camp and his quote was god they're still using camp <laughs> and then you know some 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 bit about that and they said no i don't think it's camp at all hilarious that's like 1976 and he's like they're still using camp <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's so funny i'm obsessed with that but i feel like it's less camp and more kitsch because i feel like on yeah. the one hand it's very much like a like a, there's like lots of elements of like art film in that movie but like some of it just like falls so like endearingly short that I, even though i love the movie do not get me wrong i am not trying to say it's a bad movie but like i feel like there's like watching it i'm just like this is kind of silly like yeah i i, I basically agree that it isn't camp really because it, it's heightened but like if, i don't know it, it doesn't feel camp to me uh ultimately the movie opened to widespread acclaim at a 34 million dollar gross uh, Pauline Kael called it the best scary funny movie since Jaws, which I think is a great uh, summation. <laughs> Roger Ebert called it, quote, absolutely spellbinding, while Gene Siskel called it crude and sloppy. Perfect. Great Whoa. stuff. That's how you know. It's, it's the real deal. Uh, <laughs> it was nominated for two Oscars for um, uh, Sissy Spacek and Piper Laurie. Neither of them won. The winners that year were Faye Dunaway, Dunaway and Beatrice Strait for Network. Which makes sense, I think. <laughs> I, I'm yeah. not going to complain too much about that. Um, and yeah, that uh, brings us into the original Carrie. Um, we we could start at the beginning. I think the volleyball scene is a really fun opening. Uh, I love the way that, that, that Chris says you eat shit at the end of that scene. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're talking about how they sort of downplay a lot of the specifics of like her background and 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 you know race and class and all that in in, in and etc in the film i do think that she feels like a very specific and real kind of person in in a high school setting yeah oh for sure like i really think especially like Sissy spacex does like an amazing performance and like really like I think she really looks the part as well. Like, they, in like the way, like, they make all the other characters look in like comparison, and the way all the other characters, like, even like act, like their acting style in comparison, really like emphasizes the way, like, she stands out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, the the shower scene comes next and that is you know probably the second most iconic scene in this movie um it, it's it, it feels weird which it's supposed to 
I, there's something about like just the social horror of it though like it, it, it's a really great horror scene but it is just like you know at, at high school social dynamics at play and it's like like the 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 mystical the, the the telekinetic elements of this story are not really where the horror comes from it comes from you know how people behave towards people who are exactly different. and i always like to mention that like People who think that, like, the scary part of Carrie is Carrie killing everyone at the prom, I'm like, that's a red flag, because, mm-hmm. like, that just goes to show that, like, you would have been one of the people killed at the prom if you were afraid of her, because, like, the scary part isn't that she, like, has the power or, like, does any of that, like, that's, like, the scary part is like, oh, she has like endured all these traumas. And in a way, I feel like Carrie is less of a horror and more of like like a tragic drama with like horrific elements. Because like all the things that happen in it are more just like very like like emphasizing Carrie's traumas, which is like a horrific thing in itself, but more of like it's more like a tragedy in my opinion. Yeah, for me, it's a horror movie in the same way that 8th Grade is a horror movie. Yeah. I also feel like you can make a pretty strong argument for it being, like, a science fiction movie as opposed to a Mm -hmm. horror movie, um, Mm -hmm. which is, like, a different question of genre. But, yeah, I think there's, like, a lot of weird genre bending going on here, and I think that's part of why Carrie's so compelling to people, because, like, it is a tragedy, it is a high school movie, it's horror, it's sci-fi it's everything mm-hmm. yeah i also think that it, it reminds me of some of the classic like universal monster movies like invisible man in that like the 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 character who ha- has whatever supernatural thing going on is is a tragic figure and again the the, the horror so, sort of comes from things being out of their control i think post john carpenter you see very little of that in like you know, studio horror movies because things are, are moving in the direction of like there's this evil force of nature that we can't control. Yeah. Yeah, like, I would agree. She's simultaneously like both, you know, the swamp thing and also like the girl that the swamp thing is dragging under. Like she kind of functions as both of them in this movie. That's really cool. Mm. I feel like I have to sneeze. <laughs> I don't know if I do. Uh, the worst, <laughs> the worst feeling in the world. Uh, we'll see coming in oh no (laughs) my telekinesis (laughs) flings everything across the room (laughs) i think another interesting thing about carrie is um like she is like the protagonist and she's not there's like her antagonist is like the society and her like mom and that she lives in and things like that and while like she's like known as like a classic like horror villain she's really she's really the protagonist like she is not like a villainous character in like any like storytelling capacity it's true and there are like the the antagonists are obviously chris and the mom but there's a way in which both i think on a repeat watch and from just the cultural knowledge of how it ends it it feels in a way like the the ending is almost inevitable and most of the characters in the movie are doing everything they can to stop it knowing that it's fruitless Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's. I was kind of surprised rewatching this, uh, the '76 and watching the 2013 one. Like the kind of like genuine guilt I think that like Sue feels in both of the movies, which is like you know slightly more complicated in the books, because uh, it's like kind of guilt over this and kind of a weird displaced thing. But um, yeah, like there is like so much like kind of intervention happening while at the same time like these structures have just been building up for so long that like it kind of doesn't matter if like finally there's a change of conscience and stuff. But like I'm always struck by a I don't remember the gym teacher's name. Um, female gym teacher. <laughs> um, the gym teacher is uh, Miss Collins. Yeah. Well, that's a very generic name. In, in in the 1976 movie, it's Miss Collins. In the book and the other versions, it's Miss uh, Desjardins. Okay. Uh, yeah, so Miss Collins in this, like, you know, her intervening. And, like, she is, like, I think slightly less, like, I, I think she's a little harder of a character in the 76 movie than, like, the 2013. But, like, she is still, like, there's, like, an empathy there that, like, is really interesting. And I think the way they kind of code her is really interesting um, as, like, this kind of single woman who's, like, simultaneously like a mother figure to carry but also kind of functioning in like a weird like i don't know like the image of like the bloody handprint on her shorts always really gets me and like i don't really know what to make of it but it's it's just very strange that was a super all over the place thought no i know exactly what you mean i feel like not to like make it like this but there are <laughs> homoerotic yeah elements. okay thank you <laughs> there are homoerotic elements yeah, yeah like especially the scene where um she like takes carrie aside she's like look how beautiful you are like let your hair down like look at you you're growing up into a woman and it's like yeah okay um there's something at play here methinks yeah and like I'm I haven't read the book since last year and so I'm trying to remember if I'm kind of off base about this but like my memory of the book is that she's like kind of coded as like masculine mm-hmm. um which is partly the like you know female gym teacher thing but also like there is like kind of a degree of like all right she is the single woman she's displaced there's like no reality of her as like married like she's always you know separate and apart and she's masculine and like how that feeds into the weird kind of like homoerotic homosocial stuff that's going on in the all of these all of these versions of it are very strange and like i don't know there's something very primal about carrie like reaching out to her like that um Mm. and how she kind of like accepts it and takes it in and i have a theory carrie i mean like obviously like stephen king or not obviously, but like perhaps Stephen King did not intend for this, but I do strictly read Carrie as a lesbian in the series, like every iteration. Like, yes, she does get with um what's his face? Um fuck. Tommy Ross. Tommy, Tommy yeah, Tommy Ross. He like, but like, I think that's a very like, like peak comp head. Like he's the most popular boy in the school, the most handsome quote unquote boy in the school. She's like the like unpopular bullied kid. They get set up intentionally. Of course, she's going to say yes, especially if she's like so sheltered and like so outcast. Of course, she's going to say yes. But I don't think it's literally compulsory. There's, like, no actual evidence of, like, her, like, being, like, genuinely 
like have feelings for him even when they like kiss at the prom and she gets all embarrassed i'm sure that like i i read that more as like she is embarrassed with the whole situation in general and less like oh he likes me you know well i think it's also kind of functioning as like this weird triangulation of desire where like he is specifically going to carry because like sue has told him to and like Sue is essentially using Tommy to like act out this desire that she has for Carrie because like there's this kind of neurotic like focus on Carrie's body and like Carrie's naked body specifically. And it's tied with like Sue's guilt about like doing this kind of like, you know, heinous act to her. But it's also like a fixation on her as a figure. And like Tommy is the way to kind of remedy that situation by placing Carrie in this like heterosexual suburban context. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And like also going back to like the discussion on like um her, like the race and class elements is like of course like the like popular like rich white girl is going to think that anything she has is something that everyone else must also desire. And right. So she is like projecting her own like worldview onto someone who has a completely different life than her and making the assumption that that is something that Carrie would also desire because who wouldn't want what I have in a way. And whether that's like conscious on her part or subconscious like, I feel like that is still, like, something to be brought up, like... And that is, first of all, that is something that uh, Miss Collins, like, like picks up on and confronts. But I also think it's... It, it, the, the, we were talking about the, the, the weird dynamics and how there is a lot of compassion for Carrie going around. She is kind of the it girl in a way. Like, like, like without anyone really realizing it, she is desired by almost everyone in this movie. Yeah, I mean, she lives in their minds rent-free. Like, she's literally just, like, living her life, and everyone is, like, pissed off about it for no reason. And it's like, okay, like, if I was just, like, some random nobody, then why why are you so obsessed with me, you know? Um, I think part of this is also, like, I kind of mentioned this earlier, and I'm trying to find it. Like, I went and grabbed my book. um, But there's this, like, monologue that, sue gives in the novel where like she's very uncomfortable with her position in town and like she gets this specific anxiety because she's like realizing like oh my god i'm going to stay here my entire life and i'm going to marry tommy and i'm gonna pump out kids and i'm gonna be on the pta and the homeowners board and like there's like this weird specific line in there where she talks about like kind of segregated housing um And, like, this is what causes her to say, like, we have to do this nice thing for Carrie is suddenly this, like, weird, overwhelming disgust at the life that she knows she is going to live and that she has to live, kind of. And, like, I think that doesn't really get played with in the either of the movies. Um, And so, like, then it leans more into the reading that, like, I think you were talking about, Eddie. Um, Whereas, like, it has this kind of opposite meaning in the book, which is really, really strange. and like kind of you know is the problem of like film when like you can't like get in someone's brain the Mm, same way yeah Um, but it was it was interesting to like think about that because I haven't watched the movie since reading the book um you know last year so this was I don't know it was just on my brain a lot so uh to keep moving through some scenes one of my favorite scenes in the movie for one reason or another is the interaction between Mrs. White and Mrs. Snell when uh she arrives at 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 her house um 
it, it's it's a world that we don't see otherwise in the movie. The idea of Mrs. White interacting with anyone is kind of strange in its own way. <laughs> um, but it's a really, I love the moment where she's like, uh, these are godless times, Mrs. Snell. And then Mrs. Snell is just sort of instinctually like, I'll drink to that. Drink to that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I love the way that that kind of colors the world. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a good scene. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's interesting, like, the very few scenes that, like, really kind of, like, give a humanity to Mrs. White, because she's treated, like, and rightfully so, because she's, like, straight-up abusive, but, like, treated very, like, villainous and antagonistic towards Carrie, but, like, in the, the book and they cover it a little bit in the remake which i'll get to later um like she has like a tragic backstory and like she has like basically like she didn't want to give birth to carrie she would like her like husband or not who wasn't even her husband like left her to like raise her on her own she like is obviously very low income. Like she like obviously has a shit ton of repression dealing with like since she is forcing her like extremely oppressive views onto Carrie, which Carrie does rejects. And like I feel like like she like is like a character that is like even though horrible and awful like sympathetic in some weird way because like she must have like had fucked up things to end up as fucked up as she is you know and so i really like that like they have like one scene or like a few scenes where they like show like Carrie's mom is just like a misguided fucked up person and like like she's like she's villainous but she's but like not because of a supernatural reason not because of like some weird Stephen Kingly thing it's just she's just like a person with bad views yeah there's there's also an idea in here that I think shows up a lot in Riverdale where um Ms. White is seen as seen as like a really weird and off-putting person, and she is. Um, but but the relationship that Mrs. Snell has to her sort of mirrors the relationship that a lot of the girls at the high school have to carry, and sort of speaks to this idea, which again is very present in Riverdale, of like you know the 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 small town social dynamics of the parents being replicated among the kids. That's such a good point. Mm-hmm. because it, they, it's probably a similar situation with Carrie's mom where she was probably out of school got severely bullied but she didn't have the telekinesis to fight them back she just had to cope and grow up and use that against everyone else in her other way like she was getting her revenge on society by treating Carrie poorly while Carrie used her revenge on society by killing everyone else you know i think the movies both make a really good choice to have her be more realistic um i mean like she's still very very over the top it's specifically religion um because there's like an implication in the novel that what she's praying to is like not actually is something other than god um Mm -hmm. and like specifically an implication that like like there's like a lovecraft reference in what she says um 
uh like at one point i don't have it in front of me but you know it's something like it's a specific line that is like specifically coming from like a lovecraft novel and so there is some implication that she is praying to like some sort of supernatural deity and i think it's not really my favorite thing in the novel and i think it's like a much smarter choice and i think a better filmic choice that they choose to just ground it very specifically in like fundamental christianity or fundamentalist christianity yeah and i we we do get like a subtle little bit of that with like the little uh saint sebastian statue with the like glowing eyes uh the eyes that appear to be glowing at least we get we get like a a hint of that but i like that yeah generally it it feels like again a very real kind of like fundamentalist you'd encounter in this sort of community yeah and then that just like makes me think back like when um i was like talking about how i like read carrie as a lesbian like i feel like carrie's mom like her response to if carrie were to ever like reveal like her lesbianism if the story went like in a different direction like to her mother would like just be like horrible and so i feel like that's another reason why there's like the like comp hit that she experiences with tommy because she would not want to have her mother find anything out about like otherwise you know so there's a a fairly lengthy sequence uh with carrie and her mother at home uh you know we see some of the abuse and there's this idea that ms white is pushing that carrie wouldn't have gotten her period if she hadn't um had sex i mean you know it's more specific in the remake which i like but in this one it's just sort of like you know you were sinful and that's why you got your period there's some blood carrie there's the uh psycho reference in the score when she like shatters the mirror and that comes back a couple times but Mm. um it's just a nice little note there uh Something about this movie overall is it does have a very interesting pace and there are sort of very few things that happen in it. I noted that like the prom starts 55 minutes in and the movie is 98 minutes long. So like it's like the first half is everything and then the second half is just prom and the fallout from prom. Yeah, I think that's important to have that much establishing, honestly, because I feel like that's like the whole reason why everything happens is like the exposition is her entire motivation and for like doing the prom. So there's not really any rising action because like that the whole point is like her backstory. Yeah, I just feel like I always remember it being like a you know like like having a, a classic movie story structure and then i'm always i watch it and i'm struck again and again like oh this scene goes on for 10 minutes oh we're already the day of the prom and we, but like yeah it 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 moves at a very interesting pace mm-hmm. just just a sequence i think is so funny is the american graffiti scene with with chris and travolta in the car <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> it's just like it's such a <laughs> Well, it, I mean, it, you were it's so... George Lucas was somewhat right. Associated, <laughs> so. Right, it's a reference to a friend. It's a reference to like a big culturally important movie from a couple years ago, which is a crazy thing to think about today. But it, it, it's just funny to, in the middle of Carrie, have a have a sequence that's just American graffiti. <laughs> yeah, like a deleted scene. 
And there's the the funniest line in the movie where Chris is like mid sucking Travolta off, and she says, "Billy, I hate Carrie White." And Billy's like, "Who?" <laughs> it's so he deserves an Oscar for that. Genuinely, <laughs> no one's talking about how Travolta's the funniest actor alive. He's so, he's so great. Um, we get the part uh, which we've already talked about a little bit, where Sue convinces Tommy to ask Carrie to prom. Um, we get this is actually the second library scene. There's the earlier library scene where she's like picking up the books on telekinesis. I like how there's like that that other girl who's there in all the library scenes, and it's like it's like this very close quarters thing. But when Tommy asks Carrie out, there's like another girl who's sort of just like right next to them, and she was also there when Carrie was checking out the telekinesis <laughs> books. I do. I have such a fondness for the tele like the telekinesis research scene. It is like. It's the prototype of like all of the research montages they have in Supernatural, you know. Oh my god, yeah. Years later or whatever. Um, it's one of the funniest things that's ever been put on screen. I feel like it's a very like am I gay quiz. <laughs> <laughs> like you're like, hmm, this thing is happening to me. Um, let me just do some extensive research on it hypothetically. For some reason, I like I didn't when watching the original, it wasn't until I watched the remake that I put together, oh, she doesn't really, she's just discovering the, the telekinesis. Like, for some reason, even though she's doing this research on it, I didn't put two and two together that she's, like, just developing these abilities and figuring out what they are. Yeah. The important thing to remember with Carrie was that, like, in the 70s, there were constantly, like, shock news articles about, like, telekinesis, is it real? We don't know. And, like, that was just, like, a thing for, like, a decade. Yeah, and I think you've also got to really think about the, like, late 60s, early 70s, like, uh, psychedelic movements and the LSD experiments, your Timothy Leary, uh, you know, stuff. (laughs) There were, like, a a lot of those sort of um, just... um, I, I I mean, we see the, the, the dawn of, like, conspiracy theory culture in that time, too, but they're just, you know... It's like everything sort of starts to converge around, like, you know, mysticism and tabloids and and conspiracy theories and, and distrust of institutions. Like, like, it all comes together, which I and I think that really sets the stage for, like, a lot of the stuff that Stephen King was making throughout the, the 70s and 80s. Oh, yeah. Good old Steve. Good Steve. So the... <laughs> um, Chris and Travolta, the rabble rousers, they go out to the local pig farm uh, to slaughter a few. That's a scene I always just forget about. Like, like I, it, it has to be there because they get the pig's blood from somewhere, but it's just a weird little moment. Yeah, it's pretty shocking. I feel like that's one of the shockingest scenes in the movie, honestly, because, like, I really do not, I cannot think of a single person that was, like, the equivalent of, Sue and Chris and John Travolta and all them at my high school doing (laughs) anything like that like they are all like like they they I just am like wow the most popular like well put together kids in school are willing to like get like blood and mud and shit all over them in the middle of the night like that's the most unrealistically shocking part of the whole thing Yeah, for a prank, it it, it it's wild, but there's this. It feels like Stephen King heard about like cow tipping and was like, "This this makes sense, right? Like kids would do this." Yeah, 
in a way, like the real supernatural thing in this movie is how much Chris hates Carrie. Like, like more so than the telekinesis, that is the thing that like seems to propel the action, propel the violence. Is just like you know, even even mid blowjob, all she can think about is how much <laughs> she hates Carrie. Um, and I think you know, when I look at the the the, the whole setup of this prank, it feels like. There, there, there's something supernatural that's compelling her to like ruin Carrie's life. Uh, we have another scene with uh, Carrie and her mom where she, you know, sort of reveals her powers and sort of uh, the mom's freaking out and she's like, you, you're the devil. And, and she sort of um, just, just, just like fr- Carrie just sort of frightens the mom into submission when it comes down to like, she really wants to go to prom with Tommy. There's the the tuxedo rental scene, which is another uh, scene like, that I feel like I forget about. Motion. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Seventies, literally stuff. insane. I was like, this is like so tonally different than like so many things in this movie. I I feel like there are the, those mo- those moments are pretty few and far between. And like whenever you ask me like what I remember from Carrie, it would just be like all the Carrie scenes and maybe the American Graffiti scene, but like. I watching it now I just love these little moments that take you to another part of the world I agree I feel like getting the whole like it's kind of like going back to like the book where like the book really has a zoomed out perspective of all the events it's like it kind of like zooms us out for a bit and it's like oh everyone else just like has their own lives and like are like they don't really know what is going on with Carrie they're just kind of living and so it's really interesting. And I think that like goes like that's like kind of the point because like she kills very indiscriminately at the prom. Like she's not like just like after the people who like bullied her. She just like like everyone. Like she catches the whole thing on fire and shit, you know. And so it's like the, no not everyone who was there had any idea that what Kara was going through. They probably didn't even know who she was. And I think it's, like, interesting that, like, they have that, like, zoom out to be like, oh, there's just just people who are living their lives, and yet they're still going to become affected by this because few assholes had to ruin it for everybody. (laughs) So we come into the prom scene, which, again, is, like, half an hour long, uh, which I really like. And I think the heightened tone of this movie really builds to the, the sheer emotion of Carrie, like, being at prom and feeling like like a part of their world. Mm-hmm. In fact, what's really interesting is um, a lot when the movie was being screened, it was one of those movies where they wouldn't let you into the theater after a certain amount of minutes the movie had passed because they don't want the like ending to be revealed. Like they wanted to be very much surprised to like audiences that had not read the book. And so I think like putting yourself in the shoes of one of those original audience members who had no idea that the whole, like, blood was going to happen and all that shit. Like, you really don't know what's going to happen. Like, so, like, it's very interesting, like, watching the prom scene up until that point because you're, like, you know something fucked up's going to happen, but you're, like, and so you have, like, that sense of, like, dread, but also you're, like, what what when is it gonna happen like things seem so fine like when is shit gonna go down you know yeah i feel like i can imagine like getting to that point in the movie and being like this this feels like a brian de palma movie but isn't it supposed to be like scary <laughs> you know mm. like yeah 
like the prom scene again, very drawn out, very elegant, you know, just 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 sort of selling all the all the, all, all the glitz and glamour of that event in Gary's uh, imagination. But um, we we build to the ending, and again, I think that's another thing that makes the ending feel so inevitable is how this this whole prom scene they're like sneaking in the background, and they, they, there's like the scene from the night before where they're setting everything up, and it's just you know once she's at the prom there's like nothing they can do and again i think like nowadays there's the cultural knowledge of of how that movie ends and so i i and i feel like even having seen it before or maybe even without that it's just like you're waiting for for the other shooter drop mm. like that was how the movie was introduced to me to begin with like i honestly saw the remake before i saw the original or read the book because i was not allowed to watch a lot of movies growing up because my mom was like oh radar movies are bad for you and so i had to watch the majority of like horror movies either by myself or like with like my my dad would like secretly show it to me and so my dad loved the original carrie and the remake came out and he was like hey do you want to go and see a movie with me tonight? And when my mom wasn't home and I was like, yeah, what is it? And he's like, it's a movie about this girl who gets bullied and then uses telekinesis to kill all the popular kids at school. And I'm like, hell yeah, I'm so down. I want to see that more <laughs> than anything. <laughs> and so it's interesting how like, it's kind of like the shower scene in Psycho where like the re- you sell the movie at what was originally the twist. The interesting thing about Psycho is that, you know, that happens relatively early in the movie um but with this there's like the 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 fallout and i think it's you know again the heightened tone just makes everything really hit and how she you know uh slams the doors and you know the hose starts like washing everyone and then the people are getting flinged around the room that all like really works in a split screen yeah yeah it reminded me of there was a scene from Sky High, which we covered on this show, that that always used to freak me out when I was a kid, and it's a scene where they're like at the prom, and the villains are turning people into babies, and they like you know shut the doors to to keep people from getting out. That's that's that that was a, like I had I obviously didn't see Carrie when I was a kid, but I feel like that is definitely taking notes from Carrie, and mm. yeah, just the idea of being of being like you know trapped in that space, and again the inevitability building up to it, it just you know feels more cataclysmic. And also, this is, like, pre, like, school shooters being a thing. And so, like, this was, like, a very, like, new anxiety, I assume, for people back then being, like, oh, a place that we feel like we're safe, a school function, someone could just fuck all our shit up, and we couldn't get out. And so I think that was, like, a very new fear that people weren't really, like, used to the way that, like, current people are used to just, like, school violence and stuff, you know? So she, you know, gets out of the building. She sort of uh, runs home to her mom. She's like, you were right. They, you know, tricked me. And there's there's this tender moment that you know is not going to stay tender. But, but you know, the mom uh, tries to kill Carrie. Carrie uh, <laughs> crucifies her in self-defense. Um and and then we uh the house burns down we see the um the, the again the statue that seems to have like glowing eyes uh and then the the sort of last bit of the movie is sue you know in recovery and uh 
and um we 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 get that scene where she like goes to the goes to the grave and it's you know it's it's someone's written like carrie burns in hell or whatever on the on the tombstone and then like the hand comes out and grabs her and she wakes up screaming and it's like she's traumatized i think it's interesting because this is very reminiscent of the ending of the book the shining where um Mm. like a very traumatic horrific supernatural event occurs and then they all go to therapy at the end and and, because i think it's like it's so real like if something this really did happen like you would need fucking therapy and so i think it's like an interesting thing that they really don't touch upon in a lot of horror that like the aftermath of the horror like what happens after all like shit goes down you know like the survivors like they don't ever talk about like the final girls like therapy sessions about that you know like yeah so i think it's very interesting that they go that way it it, it, it's definitely something that i don't think you saw in a lot of horror beforehand it's something that you still don't see a lot but i feel like um has definitely uh been a footprint that this movie left i was thinking about um you know because i was sort of formulating the episode and i was thinking about it obviously is one of the most iconic horror movies of all time, one of the most influential. I was thinking about where it stands in terms of how, how iconic it is, and I feel like it's, like, not top five, but definitely top 20, <laughs> you know? Mm. Yeah. I, 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 was just, I was just thinking about, like, what the actual most iconic horror movies, like, ever are, and I feel like, I, I mean, Dracula, you, you know, you can't, you can't count that out. The three that I came up with was Dracula, The Shining, and Blair Witch Project. Um, I, I think there are other things to throw in there, but I think Dracula, obviously, like when you think of Dracula, you think of that entire movie. Um, the Shining, I think, just has a lot of these images that just like when you think of a horror movie, you think of the twins in the hallway or the the, the elevator or the maze. Like, like there's a dozen things in that movie that are just synonymous with horror. And Blair Witch, sort of, you know, the whole, the whole found footage thing. But I do think that Carrie... Is is again one of those things that just has a, a cultural imprint where if you've never seen a horror movie um, or if you've you know never read anything by Stephen King or anything like that, you know that Carrie uh, gets the the pig's blood dumped on her and like goes berserk and it's iconic. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that like that ending where like it's like the fake out where like her hand pops out is ripped off in like every single like shitty current horror movie where like there's like a fake out where like oh you thought they were dead surprise they're back oh just kidding unless yeah you know like that's done in everything now (laughs) there's the earlier like the end question mark but carrie sort of starts that thing of like she's back no she's not <laughs> or yeah. is she? you know that really is mm-hmm. how everything ends now to 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 move beyond the film and into the ongoing franchise this film would catapult stephen king to a career as the most iconic living author it, it, it took some time for like the Carrie well to be dug up again you know obviously king was writing all kinds of other stuff and the the the, this franchise thing really didn't start spiraling out until the 80s uh but once it did (laughs) the 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 first thing the first attempt to sort of get back into Carrie was actually the musical in 88 
The script for that was conceived and written by Lawrence D. Cohen, alongside famed composer Michael Gore, whose sister Leslie Gore is another notable alum of yeah. Sarah Lawrence. Oh, I was going to say Michael. Oh, no, that's Martin Gore. I was like, Depeche Mode? Question mark. <laughs> if only if only this is not the only Stephen King musical <laughs> it's true it was a thing where like i think i think lawrence d cohen just like saw like an opera and was like i should make a carry musical <laughs> yeah i was on his wikipedia earlier and all it talks about is Carrie. It says lawrence d cohen is an american screenwriter and producer best known for his work on several adaptations of Stephen King's Carrie. That's it. Yeah. Like, that's what he's known for. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Michael Gore's uh, famed collaborator, Dean Pitchford, was brought in to write the lyrics. And after a 1984 workshop, it was soon announced that Carrie would be coming to Broadway. And it took like a couple years for it to actually happen. Um, the musical was a notorious disaster. Yeah, it bombed pretty hard, but it has like a cult thing not going now. Yeah, that's the thing. It had 16 previews and five performances, like sold out. But every show was sold out, but the like the critics hated it. And so the, you know, backers kind of pulled out of it. And then after five performances, it closed. But yeah, I mean, it did sort of develop its own like reputation over time where obviously Riverdale did it and it, it you know, was revived in various forms, especially in the 2010s. Um yeah, it's it's one of those things that I think I think people like the idea of a Carrie music obviously funny, um, and yeah. I think people just sort of gravitate to, gravitated towards that idea and how big of a bomb it was, and then you know sort of there there are the resonant elements of the Carrie story that that the musical sort of like blows out that that I think people were like there there's something here to be considered and obviously you have the 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 writers of fame on it there's some some craft that goes into the the songwriting you know i, I it makes sense to me definitely i feel like also carrie like the the story of like young girl outcast by her peers who has enough and fucks everyone's shit up i feel like that is like a story that can be told in any generation for for like majority of audiences will resonate with it to some degree. Yeah, I mean for the record, I don't think the Carrie musical is very good, but like <laughs> it, it 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 yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying that it, it's a resonant story, and I mean we we all watched the the uh, the the original as like teenagers or young adults, and it it, it does still have a resonance in like school today it, it it feels real even at, even 50 years later and even after it wasn't that real to begin with after so uh after that carrie goes untouched for another 11 years it's like you know that was a flop this this, this thing's radioactive in 1996 uh there was an original horror movie in the works called the curse and it was based on a real sex scandal at a real high school uh but production on that movie stalled Someone at United Artists noticed that the film bore a resemblance to Carrie, and so it was retitled The Rage, Carrie 2, and released in 1999. I forgot about Carrie 2. Carrie 2, with a vengeance. Amy Irving reprised her role as Sue Snell. She was like, she wasn't sure if she was going to do it, but she got Brian De Palma's blessing. 
um, Sissy Spacek uh, signed off on the use of archival footage of of uh, her as Carrie. The main character was retold into being Carrie's half sister. Wow, and she has telekinesis too, I assume. Yes, yeah, and it, it's sort of no, she's normal. <laughs> she's, it, it's following it's like, those same beats, and it's like how they made American Psycho too, and it was like girl boss American Psycho. <laughs> But like had nothing to do with anything that had to do with American Psycho One. It was just like we're just going to make this movie that's very different and like put this title on it. Yeah. Also appearing in that film as the main character's mother is Jay Smith Cameron. Ah, good for her. Yeah. It all comes back around. It does all come back around. That film was going to be directed by Robert Mandel, who did FX and School Ties. Uh, he dropped out several weeks into production and was hastily replaced by Kat Shea, a director who was part of sort of the Roger Corman stable. She went on to direct 2019's Nancy Drew and the Hidden Staircase, which I've heard is good. I haven't seen it. Uh, but they had already shot some of it and they were bringing on a director last minute and uh, it, it was a disaster. It made $17 million on a budget of $21 million. However, the film has also gained a cult following. That's how I want my film career to go. I want to have <laughs> movies that are like critically unremarkable, but then later gain a massive cult following. Yeah, I mean, I think again, it just speaks to you know the Carrie story about like the the outcast in the high school who you know lights everything up. Like 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 that is a, a story that clearly clearly carries even in no pun intended, even in uh, <laughs> less inspired forms yeah next there was the 2002 tv movie carrie uh stephen king didn't want to get involved in that one because he he was disappointed with carrie too that film was initially he also did famously hate the first one yeah <laughs> i will the, it's interesting but yeah the the film was initially planned as like a you know movie of the week thing for abc or whatever network but uh it was also treated as a backdoor pilot meaning that Carrie couldn't die at the end. Instead, uh, <laughs> instead they had Carrie and Sue uh, run off together to uh, Florida. <laughs> Sorry, what? Um, <laughs> Thelma and Louise with Carrie? Like, what? I want, yeah, that sounds like a fan fiction. This version of Carrie was written by uh, a young upstart named Brian Fuller. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> he's that he's like Gene Parmesan. <laughs> uh, no one is fighting for gay rights the way that Brian Fuller is. My God, <laughs> he's been doing it the whole time. Um, and at this point. At this point, he was like, you know, he had worked on Star Trek, and that was like the the main thing he was known for. This was mm -hmm. an early Brian Fuller project. You gotta, you gotta give the man credit. You gotta give him props. You know, you know what you're gonna get from Brian Fuller. <laughs> the uh, Carrie TV movie debuted to pretty strong ratings but poor reviews. Fuller brought NBC a pitch for a second episode. Um, and they were like, yeah, sure. But then they, you know, never called him back or whatever. <laughs> Fuller says uh, that they only said they were interested in the series to begin with as some sort of trick, as some sort of like executive trick where it was like they, you know, they'd get more money out of getting it made if, if they said they were, it was going to be a backdoor pilot, you know. 
And in that version, uh, Angela Bettis played Carrie and Patricia Clarkson played her mom. Finally, in 2011, a full-on theatrical remake of Carrie was announced by MGM and Screen Gems. And uh, here's a quote from the first announcement in The Hollywood Reporter. MGM and Screen Gems are partnering up for the new take on Stephen King's book and have hired Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark playwright Roberto Aguirre Sacasa to pen the script. Spider-Man <laughs> Turn Off the Dark. God, I love that's what he was known for. Oh my god, that's literally Sorry. so fucking funny. So great. He literally worked on Glee at this point. Like, they couldn't say Glee writer now. I say Spider-Man Turn Off the I... Dark is the most iconic thing that's ever existed. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> he was it does seem like you know he was sort of brought in to doctor that script he did he, you know he hadn't write, written it originally but he was brought in to sort of like fix it and, and um so i think that like that was part of the reason that a lot of projects were circling around him because he did that though he did also write the 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 comic series version of um of uh the stand at this point that was yes. a big part of why you know they they wanted him for carrie we trust him. They're like, this guy's Red King. We can get him in here. Yeah, this guy knows what's up. <laughs> the 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 fact that this was uh, written by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa uh, is is pretty funny. We we haven't gotten into uh, the movie yet, obviously, but like it makes sense in a lot of ways in retrospect at this point he he was known as the playwright of spider-man turn off the dark and that that doesn't i mean i see how that tracks actually because of the um uh spider-man and you you see the line between spider-man and carrie right like they're you know high school outcasts with powers and yada yada yeah definitely Aguirre Sacasa was hired for a strip that would be more faithful to the original book. Uh, he turned that in, and the studio was like, we need a rewrite, and they brought on Lawrence D. Cohen. <laughs> at the, at, by this point, Cohen was kind of a staple of Stephen King adaptations. He did It, he did Nightmares and Dreamscapes, he did the Tommyknockers. <laughs> the, 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 that became his wheelhouse. Great career to have. You got it. Got it. Respect it. You got it. <laughs> Just starting out as a Scorsese guy and then like doing a Stephen King movie and being like, this is what I'm doing from now on. <laughs> <laughs> Not many people are willing to dedicate their lives to Steve, but uh, he was for some reason. It's true. Here's what Stephen King had to say when asked about the new reboot. I've heard rumblings about a Carrie remake, as I have about The Stand and It. Who knows if it'll happen? The real question is why, when the original was so good? I mean, not Casablanca or anything, but a really good horror suspense film, much better than the book. <laughs> not so Casablanca or anything. <laughs> a little more, a little more from him. Piper Laurie really got her teeth into the bad mom thing. Although, Lindsay Lohan is Carrie White. Mm, it would certainly be fun to cast. I guess I could get behind it if they turned the project over to one of the Davids, Lynch or Cronenberg. Oh my god, a David Lynch carry? That, that's what he wanted. I need this in my life, honestly. Bro, why has David Lynch never done a King movie? This is so I mean, Carrie and Palmer would be besties. Absolutely. So they asked Stephen King about him and he was like, hey, as long as 
One of David. I and love that he says dead. that. He got the girl who did boys don't cry. <laughs> we'll 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 get into that for sure. Uh, okay. First of all, Lindsay Lohan responded to uh, Stephen King shouting her out for Carrie. She said that she was quote stoked to be mentioned by Stephen King, but that <laughs> that she would prefer to pursue a role in an adaptation of The Dark Tower. Oh. <laughs> Oh, that would be so fucked up. <laughs> just like my third eye just opened and we can't let that happen. <laughs> crazy stuff happening. And then they asked Sissy Spacek about the rumblings around Lindsay Lohan as Carrie. And uh, she said that, you know, someone had put like their, them side by side. And she said that she was flattered by that comparison and then said, quote, I was also flattered that they were casting someone to look like me instead of the real Carrie described in the book. That's going to be real interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff all around. <laughs> I love that. Needless to say, the project was not turned over to David Lynch or David Cronenberg. <laughs> Instead, it was helmed by Kimberly Pierce, most known as the director of Boys Don't Cry. I mean, that is an interesting choice. That is an interesting choice. I don't, like, Boys Don't Cry is not a good movie, in my opinion, but, yeah, you know, Kimberly Pierce's reputation, like, like, that background, and she did, like, she did stop loss. She, like, she had had a very minimal career. I feel like attaching her to Carrie says something about you know, the ideas that they had about what Carrie was. And I think some of the stuff we were talking about, about the subtext and about um, it not really being a horror movie, being sort of a a, a, a tragedy with these supernatural elements, it feels like th- there were interesting ideas behind bringing Kimberly Pierce on board. Yeah, I'm super curious because, like, Kimberly Pierce, like, is, she hasn't really done a lot. Like, she ultimately did, like, Boys Don't Cry, Stop Loss, and Carrie, and that's kind of it. Um, but is like someone who is thought of as like a lesbian filmmaker like very specifically she's always categorized as that and like at this point Roberto Gersacasa is like a queer playwright like that is also how he's categorized like you know his first two like tv jobs were big love and glee and like I think there is kind of something going on with like specifically having those two people be kind of at the head of this remake and like we talked about the queer subtext with the first movie, but like it's so much heavier in this film mm-hmm. while also at the same time kind of not actually being allowed to come to fruition. And like, I'm real curious about what the production was and like if stuff was cut, you know, what the deal was and like what the conversations were to get these people in the room. Because mm-hmm. it's it's kind of too much to ignore. I'll tell you uh, what, she, what she said about it. She said... Uh, that she had planned to make a more faithful adaptation of the novel, but the studios interfered and forced her to cut and replace nearly 40 minutes of footage from the movie to make it more like the original film. Damn. Oh, wow. And a hashtag release the Pierce cut campaign has appeared in response to that. It's like... I honestly think that would be a better, more effective film. Yeah. And, and frankly, I would like to see Kimberly Pierce's Justice League, just to put it out there. <laughs> Yeah, why not? Why not? Uh, the casting team was determined to find actors who were just breaking out, such as you know Travolta and, and et cetera, in the original. For instance, this was the first film to feature Ansel Elgort. 
this one is doing a lot of heavy lifting trying to convince me he's like well he got like um, sexual assault charges anyway so i am just over him yeah 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 we should mention that um i think his performance in this movie is kind of travolta and like and like obviously you know they they didn't know that that ansel elgort would be the one to sort of become a name um but but yeah, I mean they they put him in in the Tommy role, and he's just a little. He he just has like like that off kilter Travolta thing that that makes him not really work as a Tommy. I think. Yeah, he's kind of like goofy. Yeah. Like I remember like watching it the movie in like when like the blood gets like dropped on her, and he goes, <laughs> "Hey, what the hell?" And I was like, <laughs> "Goofy." <laughs> It's also the way he falls to the floor when the bucket hits him on the head is unfortunately incredibly funny. I know, I'm supposed to be so sad right now, but I just cannot. This film was released to mixed reviews and a middling box office. Uh, it made back its budget, but it didn't crack $100 million. Um, and that's been the, the, that's been it for Carrie since then. They, there was a talk in 2019 that FX was developing a Carrie limited series, but nothing has come of that yet. So... Carrie 2013. It it starts with a pool volleyball scene. Uh, well, it actually starts with the scene of Carrie's mom giving birth. Let me let me uh, uh, correct myself there. The it, it, it's framed in an interesting way where we like you know it, it's like a Tim Burton movie almost like we like with the camera we sort of follow it into the house and up the stairs and into into the room where she's giving birth and almost kills Carrie but then doesn't. And I think it accomplishes a similar thing to the original and just sort of, you know, having something, ha having like a jarring and unexpected and sort of otherworldly feel um, with its opening. Uh, and it, it definitely immediately sets up that this is like uh, tonally, it's different, but it's the same in, in terms of tone, I feel. Like, like it definitely has a different carry, but it is sort of like, the 2013 horror movie equivalent of what what Carrie was for a 1976 horror movie. Definitely agree because I feel like they must have seen the original and been like, "This needs to be scarier. What can we add to create any more like suspense or horrific elements to this? Because it needs to be up to snuff with the rest of like the movies that were like horror that were coming out around that time." But it is still heightened i'd say this is closer to camp than the original but like oh for sure yeah it it, it it's played up especially i think julianne moore is really giving this i gotta shout her out <laughs> my i wished so bad like before julianne moore talked i was expecting her to be doing like the boston accent she did on 30 rock and i was like <laughs> <laughs> oh my that's God. my complaint about this whole movie is no one is trying and failing to do a main accent which is the most important <laughs> thing that he's giving king adaptation that's so funny oh you're so right is carrie set in in maine yeah it's uh i forget like what town it is but it's one maine. of the many main stories mm. he's got a name yeah, you know because it. it was his first i wasn't sure if he had already you know figured it out but clearly he, he was ahead of his time um again when we when we see chloe grace branch's face for the first time it's so funny like here's carrie <laughs> i i need to just come out and say it i 
hate the way she performs Carrie. It like I do too. Was so mm. grating by the end, and like it feels like she. Okay, there was this review of uh, the Boys in the Band remake that came out a couple years ago, um, and it described Zachary Quinto's performance as pretending to be what he thinks an ugly gay man is. And I think oh kind of what's happening here where she's trying to be what she thinks is like an ugly weird girl. And like it doesn't work. It sucks. It's also like she's too confident. Like she keeps talking to her mom and I'm like, I just don't like this. I don't like any of this. I'm yeah. a hater, but did not work. No, I either. completely agree. I feel like like Carrie is the most important person obviously in this story and like if you do not get that right then like it does not like the rest of the movie therefore it does not work and I feel like like she like I said that before like she's way too conventionally attractive to be Carrie like she's she performs her in like a very like fake way like she's supposed to be like a genuinely very like pathetic character and she's just like kind of like I'm different I'm a creep I'm a weirdo you know and it's like very like you are the kind of girl that would bully me in high school like you are not the kid that got bullied I'm telling you this right now I did not really have any gripes with her performance. Um, the you you mentioned Julianne Moore's performance in Thirty Rock, and that's you know among my favorite performances of hers. Chloe Grace Moretz's performance in Thirty Rock is also so probably true. my favorite performance of hers. Uh, I feel like anyone who who had a, a bit on Thirty Rock is like that that that's like their highlight. But yeah, I <laughs> she's definitely <laughs> a, a strange choice to play Carrie, I felt like, I, I don't know, I think it's a heightened story, I think there it's a heightened performance in some ways, it didn't, it didn't feel to me like she was trying really hard to, like, to, to, like, you know, get into, like, a Carrie vibe, it felt like she was, you know, among, maybe the closest thing to a natural performance that exists in this movie, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I see what you're saying, though, I, I mean, I definitely think she was, like, woefully miscast. I also think, like, in, like, terms of, like, current movies, especially current movies that are, like, trying to make money, I really feel like they would not really want to take that big of a risk in making a movie where the protagonist is someone who is, like, a woman who's not conventionally attractive and acts extremely pathetically, because that is just, like, not the way movies go, like, in current times, like they really have to like cast people that are like attractive and have like some kind of presence to them because that's just like what is popular and a character and like if Sissy Spacek was like an actor in current times and not in like the 70s like people would be like what is her deal like why why like what what you know and so I think that like this movie is trying to pander to current audiences in a way that like did not make the elements of the film in other ways successful I might push back on that like just a little bit because like I think like 2013 era yes it is like really weird and like you have so much of like the kind of resurgence of like teeny boppers in like 2013 you know like with Chloe Grace Mertes and like Ansel Elgort they're in so many movies and stuff but also like if this movie was made you know three years later maybe you do have like this kind of rebirth of like the kind of still you know 
relatively attractive but like weirder looking uh character actors and like you know you think about like a24 horror movies and stuff and like i don't think anya taylor joy is like unconventionally attractive necessarily i'm not talking yeah i mean i guess you're you're right but i'm saying like i feel like it's very much a product of its time yeah i i I would definitely agree with that and i think the kind of like clinical set design feels so like specifically 2013 in a really weird way and like the way they approach like teenhood is incredibly 2013 um i think i misunderstood what you were saying i guess i mean less current audiences than current 2013 Okay. I kind of forget that like yeah. 10 years have passed since then because I'm like time is an illusion. Yeah. And, and I mean if you if you if you made this now, you could you could get like Mia Goth who uh, bears a resemblance to Sissy Spacek certainly. Like like there there's definitely oh. I think more people like that now. That would go crazy. Yeah, I I guess I yeah, misspoke when I said current. <laughs> and there's also the fact that I mean what Stephen King suggested was having Lindsay Lohan in the role and she <laughs> would be bizarre in many ways um would at least be like the the i mean she you know she was probably in, in, in her 20s at this point but like she she would be closer to like point. yeah she but she would be like the you know more like the the pretty teeny bopper version of Sissy Spacek and Carrie that than than what they're doing with Chloe Grace Perez, which is just like here's the the, the prettiest person you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it was so the thing that like really because it was like not my favorite performance from the start, but like once she gets covered in blood and she's doing the telekinesis, whatever, she's doing this thing that like she's trying to pop her eyes out so that she looks like Sissy Spacek in that scene, and that just bothered me so much. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like you know nitpick her performance anymore but like she just doesn't have the physicality she doesn't really have the line delivery either i also she's not sniveling and pathetic enough and i think she's a little too confident with her mom but it's just a very strange performance and a very strange choice i think another thing is like for the scene in the where she's killing everyone that like i feel like they kind of missed the point of like carrie killing everyone at the end because she in the remake, I feel does it more from like a place of like evil, where I feel like Carrie in the original does it more from a place of fear and like she is just reacting, not thinking because she is traumatized. Because it all goes with you're saying with the expression, like mm-hmm. in the her expression in the remake is like angry and like she's like laughing while she's killing people and has like the like you know, like, her eyebrows are all, like, like, err, you know? Well, in the original, she's just, like, standing completely still. Her arms are, like, outstretched. Her eyes are open, but she's, like, barely moving, yeah. barely expressing. And I feel like that, like, is very important. Like, those nuances are so important in, like, the acting because it's so much about her character is, like, this. she's an afraid, traumatized girl and she's not doing it because she's evil she's doing it because she feels like she has no other choice i also feel like they make this decision to have her like spare certain people in the auditorium which i really you know like the teacher mistart Desjardin, or that's not how you pronounce it but you know what i mean um judy mm. greer's character specifically the gym teacher that's <laughs> played by judy greer in this film um like carrie picks her up and like keeps her out of the way and like there's some implication that she's also like keeping sue away uh the weird stuff they 
we have to talk about Sue's pregnancy at some point. But maybe oh not. my god, I yeah. I have thoughts about that and also mm-hmm. thoughts about mm-hmm. how that relates to the book. Um, uh, but it's really weird because like it simultaneously like makes her seem more evil, but also does this kind of like weird thing where it's no longer like indiscriminate killing and is instead like she's saving certain people who were like you know met some like sort of moral righteousness meter throughout the film you know it feels like you're in like um like until dawn and it's like oh okay the gym teacher did the quick time event two hours earlier so she gets to survive this um yeah which i was not i don't know it's just a very weird version of the prom scene i feel that and like we'll we'll get into it more, but like we the the prom scene is shorter and the rampage is a lot longer. We see her like you know move move out. There's of course the you know when she sends uh, Chris's face through the windshield of the car. That's like um it it, it you know that that is a kill that feels like a more you know w- w- when Carrie was made, there wasn't an idea of what a Stephen King movie was, and I think the there there are things like the kills in this movie that that feel more in line with like that that continued thing of like stephen king not being happy with how people were making his stories and that him kind of doing it himself and using you know people that he liked and then that led to these sort of tonally strange movies with like weird weird kills and and you, you know i feel like it's sort of wrestling with that in a way the original wasn't there's also a lot of King references in this movie. Like there's a kill in the gymnasium. That's a direct reference to the mangler. Um, and there's also a lot of the car stuff is a reference to Christine kind of mm-hmm. sort of, um, which listen, I'm never going to turn down a mangler reference, but also it's very mm-hmm. strange. Yeah. And that's not like a, like very like pop, <laughs> like kind of King story that people would like easily be like, I know that. Like it's not like the shining or like I don't yeah. know. What else? Yeah. It is, like, I'm probably know. one of the only people who's gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, but it's like classic Roberto Aguirre Sacasa to do that. <laughs> yeah, this is the dude who did a needful thing subplot on Riverdale. Like <laughs> he loves that shit. He's like, if you get it, you get it. I don't care if you don't. <laughs> He's doing it for me, and I will listen. I'm giving Roberto a kiss on the lips right now. I love him so much. Absolutely, absolutely, a kiss for Roberto from all of us here at Pulp Friction. Um, <laughs> the, the the there's the period scene, which you know Chloe was actually a teenager at the time, so they do have to. Um, you know do it in a more tasteful way and also just the standards of 2013 are different from 1976 um but i thought they when they have the when the volleyball scene is in the pool i thought they were doing that so the period would happen there and then it happens in the shower still really confused why it was pool volleyball if not for like creepy shot of blood trickling out in the water yeah, yeah, I feel like they I feel like there is a way I can see that being I like it because they like I feel like that puts her in a very vulnerable position because I remember when I was in high school and I mm-hmm. was taking gym class with all of the girls who were mean to me and I had to wear my bathing suit in front of all the popular girls and they would make all these comments about me and uh, I'm like yeah I can see that being a more vulnerable uh, situation for Carrie to be in that's a good point. but that's that's just I'm try- I'm gonna make a little bit of a defense in this movie <laughs> Yeah, now now that we're talking about it, though, that feels like a thing that could have been a studio note, where the period happened in the pool, and the studio was like, we want it to happen in the shower, that's such an iconic scene. That's a really good point. Yeah. 
yeah, I do think the pool is a very vulnerable space, and I think that is a good point. There, there are parts of this movie where, like the the verisimilitude, like you know, following the beats of of the original, but it's like Susan will get iPad and stuff like that. That like, <laughs> like there's there's times where that kind of works for me. Um, but but I would have liked this to be a, a more different movie, obviously. Yeah. yeah, I didn't. I wasn't a huge fan of like the introduction of like the social media stuff, which like. You know, it makes sense, like, unfriended and, like, all those kind of, like, you know, 2012, 2013 social media horror things. And also, like, you know, cyberbullying is on everyone's minds. We all went to middle school. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it just didn't, it just wasn't my favorite. I just don't really care for that kind of stuff. Yeah, I feel like as soon as you put social media in a movie, it instantly dates it. Yeah, it feels like a like like a Pierce and Sakasa thing to want to like be like what would how would this story change if social media was involved? But then also a neither of them probably really understanding the the social media dynamics with high school at mm-hmm. the time, and then also probably could be another situation where the where the studio was like, well, we don't want it to like affect the story too much. Well, yeah, because it's so weird because they introduce it and then it kind of gets dropped. And it's like, if you post a video of like a naked teenager on the internet, like one, that will circulate. That will circulate in the high school sphere, but also like it will go to weird places. And two, like that has very real consequences. And that is like something that comes up in like, you know, Glee, like Glee has like a whole plot point about that. And like that Mm -hmm. is something that's on the brain. Uh, And it's like, that's just never addressed and it feels like they changed it just to change it to update it but like didn't actually finish writing what to Mm. do with it because it just disappears at one point and like you know they play it at the prom but like aside from that no one seems to have seen that video yeah yeah i do think the i mean we'll we'll get into it in a minute i i but i i think the that element is funny in in a certain way um but one i did want to shout out someone real quick we were talking about speaking of bit parts uh barry shabaka henley as the principal in this i think he's really funny i think he you know adds his own spin on it and i think is like selling the like discomfort and like not really knowing how to address periods and like in like a more (laughs) i I don't know i i think he's great he's he's so good i also had that note because i also think the weird comedy between him and judy greer is really incredible (laughs) yeah (laughs) the 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 scene with carrie and and her mom is changed where rather than the mom saying that 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 you know you you said you had sex whatever she specifically says that carrie was punished with her period because she had lustful thoughts about the other girls in the locker room yes Mm -hmm. yes that is said i have thoughts okay um (laughs) it's insane that they put that in this movie and that it is like so prevalent in the first like 20 minutes of this film i think like the lesbian subtext and like i think there is like definite stuff going on with like how the girls are characterized and like the lustful thoughts and like specifically like the attention that is given to like how Carrie's gaze functions in the first 20 minutes and like how she's looking at the other girls and how the girls are filmed like it does create this like it does bring forward this thing we were talking about in the first film um of like this kind of lesbian subtext and like desire and like focus on the body and all these things it doesn't really like go that far like I think it's kind of 
like I mostly remember it being in the first, you know, 20-ish minutes of the film, but like it's so potent and it is so prevalent and like you kind of feel like they're doing something with how bullying, like especially among girls, can be this kind of like um, offloading of like uncomfortableness with like homo, um, like homoeroticism and things like that. Because um, mm. I have experienced more homophobia from the straight women in my life than I ever have from straight men, which is very ironic. And I think yeah, yeah. it's yeah. an interesting thing to point out. Like those dynamics in high school, especially, are are pretty bad. Yeah, I also wonder if maybe this like the reason to put them in the pool is that that is a specifically charged place and like you when you have to change into a swimsuit you have to get completely changed like you can't you know take off your top change it then take off your bottom um and like kind of further emphasizing the weird locker room dynamics that happen there i think that could have yeah, been a I really interesting that. movie if they went <laughs> fully into that. if they did these things well well i i think they could have done a lot more but i do think that like having that up top is just like color for for you know the dynamics of the rest of the movie i do think there's it 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 adds an interesting layer when you make that explicit in terms of sue's relationship with carrie and the the i I mean even chris's relationship with carrie like that being brought out at the beginning does sort of like like it, it should have done more but it does sort of add to the dynamics that are already there Let's see. We had yeah. This is this is the part I wanted to talk about about how about how Chris releases this video of Carrie. So so Chris makes a YouTube account as Carrie White, and and uploads the video as though from Carrie's YouTube account. The name of the file is CarrieWhite.mov with the space between it, which is so funny. Yeah. <laughs> It's just such as, and again, this doesn't really come back, but it, it, like, I, I get that, but you could just have like an anonymous YouTube account. Why would you say that you're Carrie releasing that video? She's also like writing a bio on Carrie's like account. Yeah. She's like, favorite movie, Bloodsport, favorite beverage, Bloody Mary. And it's like, what are you doing? Who has this on YouTube? <laughs> No, literally. <laughs> great stuff. Yeah. Great, great stuff. It, you know, in the original movie, there's the thing where like Tommy reads the poem in class. Carrie, Carrie likes it, and the you know they sort of they, they start clowning for liking it, and then and then Tommy's like you know asshole. They switch this in that in, in the new one where Carrie reads the poem and Tommy likes it. Um, which I don't I, I don't know <laughs> I don't know if that like changes much i it is different to have like you know on the one hand having having carrie sort of reach out to tommy and tommy sort of like getting this you know sort of sort of entering carrie's world in in an unexpected way versus tommy you know already having the compassion for carrie going in it feels like there's less of a duress to tommy you know asking asking carrie out and all that which is different but again i don't know what it really adds yeah i really feel like it's a neutral change yeah Mm -hmm. it it just kind of feels like 
it doesn't really do much for me. It is funny that he's like asshole, and then you know she gives him the like classic like she's tucking a strand of hair behind her ear. You know, <laughs> like, oh my god, you stood up for me. Um, but I don't think it changes a huge amount. Yeah, we get uh, some more. Ex- I, I think the telekinesis stuff is also a little more extreme in this, not just the kills. And I, you know, yeah. again, it's stuff that feel feels more Stephen Kingy. I think in the in the original, the, the telekinesis sort of has this, the, this again, this sort of naturalistic element to it, where it doesn't it doesn't even feel like the real supernatural thing in the movie. And in this one, it's you know, it's right there, and she's like you know moving all kinds of stuff and destroying mirrors. And I mean that happens in the original, but you know it's bigger. Yeah, it's yeah. it's too big in my like. I don't know how you guys felt about it, but like. When she's in the principal's office, uh, there's like a water cooler behind her and you see it bubbling more in the shot. And I was like, oh, that's so tasteful. Like the way they're doing this is kind of like a reading meter. And then the water bubbler just like completely explodes. And like for five minutes into the movie, we already have like a whole explosion. And like, you know, she like breaks mirrors and stuff so much and like is aware that she's doing things to a degree that I don't feel like she's aware as early or as strongly in the like original movie or the book. It just like, it just felt like they were kind of showing off and I was like, just a little more restraint, like just pull it in a little bit. Yeah. It's interesting because she, you know, I mean, she like, like the ashtray break, the original version of that scene i i feel like there's an element in both movies where like it's not really a secret that she's like like she's not making an effort to hide it and she's not like really hiding it from people at all it's just like sort of gets it's like it's an element of her being the weird girl and i do think they like also do that here again this movie i think does have like a more heightened more campy tone uh so so yeah, I feel like I'm I'm pretty neutral or or, or even positive on the um the telekinesis being more extreme because I do think it fits the tone of this movie. But yeah, I, I mean I, I think the element is there in both cases where it's like sort of in the faces of the characters in a way that you wouldn't expect it to be. Yeah, I feel like it fits the tone of the movie more. Not necessarily that doesn't necessarily mean it's good, but it does it is more fitting. Okay, now I think my favorite line in this version of the movie is where Tommy, you know, is 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 trying to connect with Carrie. sees that sees that she's got the books about telekinesis and says, "quote Is that about hypnosis? Because me and my friends, we tried that. We actually hypnotized my boy's dog." <laughs> That's so good. I I think is uh, <laughs> spectacular. Um, but but and it speaks to you know that that weird sort of energy he has but like yeah. <laughs> it also just builds out the tommy character in such a funny way where like mm-hmm. in the original he's you know the popular kid and he's got sort of a soulful thing but money he's like we hypnotized my boy's dog <laughs> the first thing he thinks <laughs> There's a lot of like, like, like what, <laughs> like what does Tommy do <laughs> for fun? What, like, what is his hypnotized dogs and write poems? He hypnotized the boy's dog. It's so funny. There's like another when they do the tuxedo rental scene in this movie. Also, like Tommy's doing all these weird little dances with the boys and like they're high fiving, and I'm just like, I would love to work out everything about these characters. Like, you know, these dudes yeah. are filming, like, jackass videos on the weekend, and, like, it's just so beautiful. 
Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> that's great, great stuff. I mean, there's there's the stuff that's in both versions that, that we haven't talked about that I think is good, but, you know, doesn't really st- stick out to me. That's like with Chris, you know, the 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 volleyball coach like like punishes the girls for for what they did to carrie and makes them have the makes them sort of have this attention with with her do do all these drills and stuff and chris is sort of chris feels i think in this version it it feels more like a reaction thing where chris is like carrie is responsible for for me getting punished and so i need to get back at her where in the original again it just feels like she has this sort of supernatural hatred of carrie it's funny because like there's kind of this nice um like kind of hysteria to chris you know where she's reacting to these things and she's like i can't believe this is happening to me in the first half of the movie which like kind of disappears where suddenly she's like yeah i love killing pigs um Mm -hmm. but it is it is interesting that like there is more of a cause and effect relationship that they try to set up and i think it's a stronger choice i wish they committed to it but it is stronger uh, there are also a lot of whispers in the soundtrack of this version of the. It's a very like 2013 horror thing of just like ha- having all the whispery stuff going on in the background. But I feel like it's it's sort of heightened in this movie in a funny way. I don't think I noticed that. I also feel like this version, but I I think it it has more of an assessment of how like Carrie, growing up with this like religious background um you know how it informs her worldview and complicates her relationship with tommy um it, it just you know we we see the impression that that makes on carrie more in this version i think mm-hmm. let's see uh carrie gets in trouble for going out to buy a dress um which which is just a unique little thing where you know after she gets asked out she goes to the, the the dress store and gets all these all these fabrics and stuff and then you know comes home hours later and uh, her mom's like where have you been uh, I I like that. Uh, fifty mi- the the in terms of pacing, fifty minutes into this version is when Tommy like goes to Carrie's house and asks her out the second time. So so like, the, and and by that point the original were already at prom. So they're they're like the same length, but this one is definitely. I I think this one still has that interesting pacing to it where like. Again, the scenes with the mom are sort of longer than you'd expect. And again, like not much really happens in the story, but it is like, you know, the prom scene is 15 minutes rather than half an hour, stuff like that. Yeah. It, uh, I, I was surprised by how long it took them to kind of get to prom, but um, I guess it is also like about the same time. I feel like I always think the prom is like a much larger part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it is, it is. Uh, you know a very big thing in the original but i do feel like i mean you know the, the this movie the prom itself is also a lot snappier and I, it, it did remind me of like proms and school dances of like a, a modern day high school um i think I, th- I think it captured those vibes pretty well but there's just like you know i i think the original is again going for like that american graffiti like the the the, the glamour of those high school days and this one is more like you know it's a high school dance it's kind of it's kind of shitty yeah <laughs> there's the uh diane young by vampire weekend needle drop when people are getting ready for prom which was pretty fun all the needle drops of this film were so incredible like it was literally if you went on like the you know 
indie rock 2013 Pandora radio station. It was so good. No notes. Uh, the, 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 again, the scene of, of Carrie, you know, shoving her mom in the closet, that it's like more heightened in this version, but I did think that was done in a fun way. The heightened, the, the, the most campy heightened stuff in this movie is the stuff with Carrie and her mom. Um, and, uh, it's, I don't know, it, it, it's the, I, 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 I think it makes sense to have that stuff be more heightened and it, it it's, it works for me mostly, but I do think that, um, I don't know. That's, that, that's what I think, basically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think the closet stuff is interesting. I think the mom stuff is interesting. Um, I was just remembering that I meant to bring this up earlier when we were talking about the queer subtext, but right after she says, the mom says the thing about the lustful thought, she then does say, Carrie, get in your closet. Um, mm. just, just very on the nose. I just wanted to bring that up because I, I raised my eyebrows at it. Um, Interesting. Definitely. Interesting. Uh, a funny element of the prom scene is that uh, Tommy texts Sue and says, in all caps, all's well, she's great, miss you. <laughs> <laughs> He's one of those all te- caps texters. Classic stuff. It, it feels like that, that's something that, you know, fe- like, like making more explicit, like, how Tommy and Sue, like, like, like Tommy and Sue's own thing in in the midst of him asking Carrie to prom, I feel like that it it feels like it um cheapens it a little bit just to have it be like you know just just she's like texting Carrie in the middle like yeah it's going well how are you doing yeah it's very like very intro screenwriting like how do I get this point across yeah they 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 like speed up a lot of the prom stuff it's you know a lot less um. Uh, glamorous but they do invest time in tommy and carrie's dancing scene just you know that they they like put it all in that moment the you know the feeling of of like being included in the original there's a little more like all the popular girls kind of hate her and there are just like a couple who are on who you know chris is just the most extreme one and in this one it feels a little more like people are pretty much on her side and even Chris doesn't hate her as much in this version, but like, but like, you know, she's out to get her and everyone else is kind of trying to support her. Mm. Which is like unrealistic too. I feel like they really took, uh, kind of pains like with, um, you know, Tommy's friend that they meet, like his girlfriend is so welcoming to Carrie and like, you're kind of unsure if it's because she goes to a different school or if like, you know, there's the possibility for niceness among all of these people, but I do think they're kind of emphasizing that a lot more. Did did they stuff the ballots in the original movie? Because in this one, we see that explicitly. Yes. Yeah, they they switched it out. Yeah. Right there, there was that scene where he like talks to the the Poindexter the morning of, and it was like, mm-hmm. and then they like throw away some of them, like the ballots. Right. Yeah. I, I for 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 some reason I just always had that in the back of my head a little bit of like Mary, maybe everyone did vote for Carrie, which I feel like it's still there. Cause we don't know what the actual vote was, but yeah. Yeah. The prom scene starts an hour and one minute into this movie and the blood drops an hour and 13 minutes into this movie. There's also a, a different thing where like Chris is sort of starting to have second thoughts. And then Billy is like goading her with violent threats. And I, I definitely didn't care for that. <laughs> I, I I feel oh, like taking no. taking the agency away from Chris overall. Like like I don't like that at all. Yeah, because like I said, like I experienced the most like shit from women, like other like 
And I think that, like, making it seem like that, like, women aren't capable of being bad to each other is, like, and it's, like, just, like, a man who is, like, in charge of all that is, like, kind of misses a lot of the points. I'm, like, it's important to recognize that, like, this is a very real phenomenon within high schools and it, like, really sucks and it's not because of really any particular reason other than just, like, women can do that to each other. So they, you know, there's the blood and there's the blow up. And like I said, it's a lot more bloody and violent and unhinged than, than, than the original, just, just a more, a more heightened version of it. Once again, um, the ending is a little different because we have this scene of uh, Sue uh, reading her testimony in court uh, (laughs) rather than being bedridden. But uh, and then, and then also, rather than the hand coming out, the uh, gravestone begins to break, and we hear, and we hear Carrie's like enraged scream from beyond, and then it cuts to black. Yeah, which I think is dumb because I'm like, she's not coming back. That's not like the whole point. Like the point is like the like trauma of what happened is like how she comes back, not she doesn't physically come back. The the like uh the the like um Batman vs Superman ending thing of just like <laughs> of just like having the dust move. Yeah. Um but I do feel like overall this this feels there's some proto Riverdale ideas here in terms of like yeah. the movie it the movie itself being a commentary on the idea of of a new carry movie. Yeah. I think it's not I, I think it like doesn't go as far enough and like I can really feel like some sort of studio hand kind of pulling it back because like mm-hmm. aside you know me and my bros hypnotized a dog is like a total like <laughs> Reggie would say that line oh, but like, yeah. like one or two of those and the rest is like so kind of patter for like what this film normally would be in weird ways yeah yeah i i i feel like my take on the remake uh i i probably like it a little more than you you two do but uh, i don't overall think it's very good yeah i uh i know we're gonna wrap up pretty soon but i did want to talk about the pregnancy stuff super fast yes um because i think that that's a pretty big change because I watched the original like two weeks ago and I that doesn't come up right like there's no no pregnancy um for people who didn't watch the movie basically like Sue goes to Carrie's house Carrie like puts her hand out and is like it's a girl (laughs) you know and like we'd see Sue throw up at some point earlier um and it's like Sue's supposed to be pregnant presumably had sex with Tommy in like the back of a car or whatever um super weird and like carrie is like really weird and supportive and it's like you have to go you have to save the babies um you can't die with me and like i found it really weird i kind of found it out of nowhere with the other stuff that's going on in this movie i mean there is like pregnancy stuff in this movie but it felt very weird kind of how it ended on that um but also like in the novel, uh, it's kind of a weird blink and you'll miss it thing, but there is this like implication that Sue is pregnant in the novel as well. Yeah. And when she confronts Carrie, Carrie essentially aborts the baby. Like she's suddenly bleeding and like it's this really weird moment and like it's kind of, you know, never explicitly said or like explicitly confirmed, but like 
it feels very weird to have them choose to bring the pregnancy stuff forward but suddenly like have Carrie be talking about like the joys of motherhood and stuff whereas like we've I don't know if that's the right way to put it but like it's a very weird kind of sentimental scene contrasted against the really graphic like birth that opens up the film especially since like Carrie has no positive experiences with any kind of mother figure so like why would she suddenly be all like super like pro-life like like weird like that yeah it, it's bizarre to like include that um that that pregnancy plot which like, again that feels like a Kimberly to the being more faithful to the book thing but then it feels weird to like to, to rather than have her sort of inadvertently abort the pregnancy just 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 completely flip that and go for that that weird like pro-life angle um bizarre yeah it's it's very strange and like i think there's a reason why they didn't include it in the 70s and i think there's also maybe a reason why they include it in a different way in 2015 um Mm. just you know birth is treated very weirdly on screen i'm not like i'm not saying it was like liberatory for carrie to abort the baby that's not what's happening in the book uh it's a really weird strange scene that i don't really know what to do with but it's really weird that this is how they do it yeah, like they could have just like not done it and it would have been fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but again, it feels like that could have been a thing of like, you know, Kimberly Pierce being like, well, we have to have like something from the book that's different from the movie. Yeah. This is this is the thing that does come up a lot in various Stephen King adaptations because they're so well known um, that like there's kind of this impulse to be like, how can we trick people? Like they did this with the Pet Cemetery remake in 2019 uh don't know if you guys have seen it but spoilers nope. instead of the son dying the daughter dies whoops um oh, weird. And, like they do this kind of all the time like this is like a big thing they do yeah um i i guess overall just 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 to sort of bring everything together i think uh carrie certainly i mean the most effective stephen king adaptations are carrie and the shining which are are two 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 things by by auteur directors who very much put you know making a movie above adapting Stephen King uh, for for different reasons. Um, but I I think that Carrie the original is not it, it's not a perfect text certainly. No. <laughs> no. But <laughs> but um, it it is very emotionally resonant uh, because of the style that it has and how like scaled back it is. And I think in the remake um, they're playing with interesting ideas, but I, 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 part of me feels like I know that like they, they go into it. They're like, we're not trying to make Carrie again. We're not trying to make a movie that has the impact of Carrie. And that is a good way to approach uh, uh, reboots and new adaptations, which I do think that Sakasi carries over to Riverdale. But yeah, I, I, I think there there is that weird wrestle between the studio and the directors and, and the writers and, and the studio wants a movie that's like Carrie and the director wants to make something more more like the book and maybe more original, more of a commentary, yada, yada. There was none of that really with the original Carrie where it was just like, here's a million dollars um you 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 and your friend have to have shared auditions and just like get it done by next year mm-hmm. all right well uh thank you guys so much for joining me this has been a two hour plus episode which <laughs> i should have anticipated um, <laughs> every but... time you have me on this pod i'm so sorry classic stuff 
Uh, to those of you who have uh, joining us listening, thank you for listening. If you like the show, you can uh, subscribe on Substack, follow on Spotify, wherever you're listening to this. We're on Amazon now, so you can, if you're listening there, go do that. Um, and rate it and share it with your friends. That's one of the best things you can do. Let people know you like the show. I will see you all next week. Thank you. I disagree, disagree, disagree.